Hi Colin, how are you doing? Good to have you on again. Brilliant, brilliant to be back, finally. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, for the listeners who are um, maybe a little bit confused right now, uh, this isn't me doing some kind of like VO intro. We have a new (laughs) format. Is this the end of the code of career? Absolutely not. It's really just the start. So this is a new format uh, that we're bringing on um, as part of the Code of Career podcast, where me and Colin, who you may remember from a very successful episode a few episodes back, um, we're basically going to be talking about uh, what really is a certain technology, because Colin is a lot more experienced than me. So it's really amazing to have someone with uh, that kind of experience to come on to explain these concepts to people who, you know, are in that sort of zero to five years of experience or even further along than that. So um, I'm really excited that we're working together. And uh, it's not just in terms of the podcast, actually, in terms of the organization, the code of career and everything we're building around that. I'm absolutely delighted and really excited to say that Colin is going to be joining up. So, yeah, um, great to have you here both on the pod and uh, great to have you as uh, part of the code of career journey. So, so chuffed to finally, finally be here. I was really excited uh when we spoke about like the coder career when we first met and um yeah i'm just i'm just really really pumped to like help you out and get going with this stuff and um i think there's just a really good opportunity just now in the market for people that have like came through boot camps and have like self-taught or you know are learning their their coding career you know the, like like exactly what you said with the, the coder career is this is this community around people that have zero to three years experience. And that just completely vibes with me because I really want to help people at, at, at that level. And, and hopefully I can put my skills to use use there. And I'm just really excited to um, co-host the podcast with you, Cameron. So thanks very much, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think if we if we're able to capitalize on half the ideas we had when we were six beers deep at a Mexican restaurant a few weeks ago, then <laughs> I think uh, I think things would go very well. <laughs> yeah, no, they had some good ideas and the ideas keep flowing. So yeah, no, let's, let's, let's do this. Good stuff. Right, cool. Well, so today's episode, and um, I suppose really, I'll let you more or less take the lead on this, because this is kind of your um, your format uh, going forward. We're going to be talking about um, what really is an application and what is OSS. Mm-hmm. So um, re- really, I mean, everyone's got a basic idea of what an application is. I, I assume so, because you fired, off your po- you fired up your podcast player here. So I would assume everyone knows, even if you've never written a line of code, you probably have a decent idea what an app or an application is. Why are we going to talk about this today, Colin? Don't you think this is a little bit basic? Like this isn't the learn how to use technology podcast. This is the learn to code and get a job podcast. <laughs> no, that's actually a really good point. I like the way you phrased that as well. Um, no, you're right. Like I think it's, I've been, I've been teaching, I was teaching coding at Code Clan for three years. And before that, I was kind of getting into teaching code and learning how to code and like, I've, like I say to a lot of people, I describe myself as being somebody who's quite slow at learning. But the advantage there is is that I can explain things really well and I've managed to practice that. And one of the things I've, I realized in, in, in that time teaching and, you know, doing a lot of learning myself is that having a really, really um, fundamental understanding of some concepts like what really is the application and what is it that I'm, when I'm building something, what is it that I'm really building? Like, for example, right, um, if I was to write an application that does podcasting software, you know, it's just the first thing that came to mind. Um, does, do I, do I have to write the code that like uh, transfers the data between my computer and your, and your computer? Or like, is there something that, that I can use that helps me with that? You know, where is the boundary between what, you write as part of the thing that does the job that you're there to do, which is the application. And what's the difference between that and other parts of, of the code? You know, how much, how much do you really have to write and, and how much, and how do you know where that boundary is? And um, basically what we, what we want to talk about today is, is making sure that the people that are listening to this, even though they might be some of, some of the listeners are definitely going to be people that have like hopefully between zero and three years experience, there's definitely going to be something in this in this episode for people who are who are in that category, um, um, and and the reason that that's important is because you know you've got to understand if it's not application code then it must be library code or tooling code, 
And being able to know the difference between all of those three things uh, is really important. And finally, we also just want to have a quick chat about open source as well. And open source is extremely important to how all that fits together. Um, so we'll start off, start off really basic and we'll hopefully go some go quite deep on some really good fundamentals. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. And yeah, whether whether you literally learned to code last week um, or whether you are one of the OGs of the industry, uh, then uh, you'll definitely get some value out of today's episode, I'm sure. So um, yeah, I mean, like you said, start off super basic, straight up. I mean, you've named off a few different types of code there, so to speak. Yeah. What's the difference? App code, library code? Like, is it not all the same? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. It's a good place. That's a good place to start off the, the discussion in this episode. So basically an application does something for someone or thing, and the thing part is quite important. And it's that application is concerned with a particular domain. And that's maybe a word that we're going to use quite a lot. And what we mean by domain is is what problem are we solving? Um, and generally, that application should solve a problem in that domain, and that's a very that's like the introductory like what is library code is code that an application or developer will use to help them solve that problem in that domain, and that means that means by you know by definition I suppose or by by assumption that the that the that the application code is domain specific it solves a particular problem. And the library code or the tooling code we're going to talk about as well um, is generic, um, basically. That's what makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I think maybe some something that may trip people up here is uh, there's a few different definitions of library code, almost. You have things like UI libraries, then there's like package managers like NPM and, and PIP that you can install things from. Um, is there much of a difference there or, or, or is kind of everything under that umbrella library code? That's a good question. So some of that stuff, most of the stuff that you'll install if you do like npm install my my whatever, um, that'll a lot of that will be library code. Some of that stuff will be what we call developer tooling as well, and and that we'll talk about that uh, later on a little bit as well. But that's basically a type of library code, but it's not designed to be shipped with the application, and we'll talk about what that means as well. Um, but it is designed to make the developer experience like a, a lot better to make to make it so that, for example, it becomes easier for me to to build my application. Um, but that code that you're talking about doesn't always actually get shipped with the application. And we've got some we've got a few examples of that. Like, for example, if you install a library to like write tests, those that library that you install to help write your tests that doesn't get shipped with your application. But it is a developer tool that is usually open source and usually um, has to be installed through like something like PIP, as you said, or NPM or Yarn or whatever it is that you're using. So that, that's brilliant. So really, if I'm an aspiring developer, um, I can just uh, look at the NPM registry, just find all the packages I need and just bolt this code together, right? I barely even need, need to write any code. Surely there's no disadvantages there. <laughs> That's 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 actually spot on, and and that's kind of the, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode actually, because I think I sort of feel like when we are beginner developers, when we we're teaching beginner developers, we we see we discover this npm registry, we discover GitHub, you discover pip, you discover Maven if you're using Java, you know, you Gradle, um, uh, Cargo if you're using Rust, like each each of each of the of the of the big techs that people tend to use have this, this concept of a package manager. And I think I, I sort of feel that when people come across that, they go they go a bit mad. They sort of they go, it's almost like I've got a hammer and everything turns into a nail. And now I just want to NPM install everything. I want to use all these libraries. And it's it's a great journey of discovery. But one of the reasons I want to like I want to talk about this on this episode is because I want people to have an appreciation of what it is they're actually installing. And and have a think about where that boundary is between their application and and the, the and the thing that they're building. And there's some really really interesting uh, um, things we can talk about as part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always worth considering as well that um, the library code uh, that you install via a package manager it's served from elsewhere and it can change. I mean, um, do you remember the Faker JS debacle, for example? 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. it. That's that's a lot. Of, there's a lot of weird stuff that can go on there. So, like, I've I've seen so many people just install something and not have, not really pay much attention as to as to what they're installing. So, so hopefully we can give a bit of, a bit of you know under under underneath guidance on on how to think about stuff like that. In fact, actually, a word of caution slash warning, and this story is quite funny, but I heard about this at a security uh, meetup, actually, and it really stuck okay. with me, about installing random NPM packages. Um, <laughs> the uh, One of the lead web developers on uh, Donald Trump's campaign, um, they realized that they were using uh, another gr- uh, a group that realized that they were producing a library that uh, Donald Trump's campaign uh, we were using in their in their website um, and they politically disagreed with him and so this was during the 2016 um, uh, election run-up and they actually reconfigured uh, their package to uh, essentially redirect the user to Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign page so <laughs> always remember that you're ne- as funny as that is uh, <laughs> always remember that you're never in charge of your uh, of the code um, for sure so that's definitely something people should consider isn't it Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I hadn't heard that story. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed it when it went, when it happened, <laughs> I gotta say. Um, so is it not just like the app is the UI and then the library is underneath? Is it, is it that simple or, or does it go a bit more deep than that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, the let's take an example of, uh, like a native application. Let's say we're building something like a budgeting app. Um, we've got we've got code that deals with like the logic for the budgets. We've got we've got a create views for the user interface, and if there's a backend, there's backend code that speaks to the database or other infrastructure. That's all application code. Um, the library code is the stuff that use that, that's used by the developer to do stuff like render stuff to the screen, render stuff to the UI, read and write to databases, make requests over the internet, and call out to APIs. So if you think about it, every app you build is gonna probably have some have some form of database at some point. It's gonna want to do stuff over the web. It's gonna want to make HTTP requests. Um, it's gonna want to render stuff to the screen. It's gonna want to like put buttons up there, put input input fields up there. And what we're really saying is that library code is stuff that lets you do stuff like that. I mean that's a very that's a very basic example. You can get library code for all different types of applications, but library code is the is the part that lets you do stuff like that. But it's generic enough in a way that you don't install it, and it is the same for every application that you look at. Now, there I know what you're going to say there's there's some exceptions to that. You know, um, if you've ever heard of things like uh, Bootstrap um, or any of these like UI libraries, they are a bit different in that. They're designed to give you something that's opinionated and something that looks a particular way, but maybe has some options for like, you know, modification. But but that's not the point. The, generally the point is that, that the library code is 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 something that's generic enough to not be that to not be specific enough for your for your needs only. That would that wouldn't wouldn't make sense. You know, it wouldn't be very reusable if it was just for your um uh, uh for your code only. That makes sense. <laughs> it it does, but here here's my question, right? So when I when I'm writing code for my full stack web application, I'm making database calls. I'm like calling the APIs. I'm firing all this stuff up up and up and down the stack. I'm looking at the network tab, my browser. I'm writing the code to make to 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 make these calls, and it renders in the UI, right? So surely I'm the one controlling all this, or <laughs> am I desperately wrong here? Have I been a stooge by asking this question? Yeah, yeah. I know you're playing the devil's advocate a little bit by asking that question. <laughs> so thanks very much for that. Um, I guess the point is this, when you write an application, you do need to deal with those things as a developer, right? I, I don't want anyone who's thinking about becoming a dev or thinking, or somebody who's, who's on their coder, the coding journey or at the beginning of their coder journey, or even if you are an engineer and you're, and you're still and you're at, your, at your first job and you're still picking up a lot of things, which obviously you will be for a good, a good while. And even when you're 15 years in, trust me, you will still be picking things up. Um, but when you write such an application, you do need to deal with those things but you do not write the code that actually takes the data and renders it to the screen or takes the data, for example, breaks it down into buffers and sends it over HTTP calls to be accessed over a network socket. And the thing I want to make sure make, make sure is eliminated to people that are that are in all parts, like in all of their beginner stages of their careers is that 
there's so much going on under the hood when you use a library, when you use another another dependency, another another piece of code that's that's not been written by you. You know, there's there's so much ma- like not magic, but it, it can seem like magic. You know, happening under the seat, under the hood there that that you're not that you're not aware of. Um, and in other words, like the application developer uses these things that someone else has written um, to make it easier to do so, so that we don't need to de- deal with the low, le- low level tasks, you know, um, and we can use the code that's ha- that's that's been written and used a million times before, and it's been proven to work, and it's been proven to like, to do a good job of, of that thing. You know, like take an example, the start of the podcast there, I, I said, if we're gonna build a podcasting app that does like, you know, over internet recording, do I want to write the code that like takes the audio and then records that into like a buffer, an audio buffer, and then like takes that chunk by chunk and sends it across the network? Or do I want to use a library that's going to help me do that? You know, and 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 apply that to every other apply that to every other problem, right? Like you 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 don't, you know, in some cases you might want to do that, but but generally, but generally you you uh, generally you don't. Um I guess we need to talk about like this idea as well of of um uh of low level and high level. So I mentioned it a minute ago um that we that we don't need to deal with some of the lower lower level tasks uh, a million times before, you know. So low level is an important word to understand um if you're fairly new to all this stuff and as is high level and I remember meeting some people that thought that that like high level was like that, that there was something to do with the complexity and I suppose there is but basically like <clears throat> it's a relative term to describe how close to the raw machine code or the bits and bytes um of the system uh when when we're writing code so I know that you know this but like just for the benefit of the listeners um when we you know when we deal with like bits and bytes that's us dealing with low-level code. Um, and as I say, it's a relative term. Um, so, for example, when we write code, the coding language that we use is written on top of a machine code level. Um, and that's for a reason. That's so that we don't need to deal with machine code. Um, hum- humans aren't good at machine code. Um, we'll probably do a bit more chat about this in other podcasts, hopefully, but... Um, we we don't want to have to deal with like, you know, really horrible numbers and instructions like mov and to move data from one register to another or add to add data in two registers, which is actually quite straightforward. But yeah, we certainly don't want to deal with that. Yeah, it's like it's like if I'm a bricklayer, do I really want to sit and make each individual brick That's each it. time, or am I going to get my supplier to send me some bricks? Like I know, I know what my boss would want, and I and I know what I would want because I don't want to spend my time making bricks when I know my expertise is making sure um, the wall is constructed and it doesn't fall over. That is what I'm trying to do, right? It's specialization, like it's the basic, it's the basis of uh, of um, of labor economics, really. Specialization applied to uh, applied to technology, um, which I think Definitely. is uh, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Um, and I mean, obviously, it's a very important. Uh, concept to understand um i mean if, if, if we talk about abstraction um what would you say that is and why is it an important concept for uh, for software engineers um ex- abstraction is just so important for software engineers because it's 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 at the core of everything that we do ultimately right it's at the core of of like um of being able to take things and make them simpler so um, for example, right? You you wouldn't you 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 could, but you you don't need to do this. But you wouldn't typically go to build um, like our podcasting application or like a money management application by writing a whole bunch of by writing a whole bunch of um, of of Rust code or C plus plus code or C code. If, for example, you set you set out to build a web app. Um, and you also probably wouldn't do that if you, you you wouldn't you wouldn't as I said before you wouldn't build the you wouldn't build the um, 
the code that handles like the data transfer between your voice and the microphone and accept the data over the wire and uh, you know decode it into the file format. You want to use something that does that for you. And, and then what you'll typically do is you'll use something that makes that even easier again. And there'll be layers on top of all of those things uh, going up and up and up and up to the point where you're just using a simple like a simple method or function that someone's written for you, which says like, you know, record audio. And then you call that, but actually under the hood, what's happening is there's, there's, it's making a call down to what we call a system library. And then the system libraries happen somewhere in the operating system. And that call then calls down to something that's maybe written in an even lower level language that you don't see, even you don't even know exists. It maybe makes like a, maybe makes some, uh, maybe make some instruction calls out to like a, a particular chip, you know, the audio chip, the audio driver, it interfaces with the audio driver on the computer. And that's all happening under the scenes. And abstraction is extremely important because if we if, if abstraction didn't exist, then you you as, a, as an engineer would be exposed to all of the intricacies and, and weird complexities and binaries, binary blobs and bits and, and bytes and streams and you'd have to then map that to memory and you know what what an utterly build... terrifying thought like <laughs> i know it's actually I, you terrifying. know what i'm gonna build my to-do list scared. in machine code that's my plan <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um we could we could build that um but as i say connecting stuff over sockets you know going going uh going all the way down there is it's just really tough you know um the point here is though all of this is done for us. All of the code that handles all of the things from the really, really low level, which is the, the, the bits and bytes, to the higher level library code, it's designed for one user. Okay, and this is one of the takeaways I want I want I want listener to have today is that we've got library code that we can use there, but you need to think about who the user of that library code is. And actually, the user of the library code, and some people think there isn't a user. The user of the library code is you, the engineer, the developer. They're not end users. You know, they're not people that are clicking on buttons and filling out forms or, you know, you know, they're not they're not playing video games, you know, they're not they're not like that. They they're they're people, they're they but they are users and 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 this is this this has become very important in in recent years um because developers can now consume products uh the same not the same way but like to a similar level that consumers consume products you know there's there's developer specific products and uh, developer tools and all of that is what we describe as 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 library code so it's and a now really there's, a, there's a whole world of dev relations which is yet another really cool career path that you can go down and that's a whole episode in, in of itself and um if people want to check one out um we had uh, Scott Spence on the podcast a few months ago now, actually, and he, mm-hmm. he works in dev relations. But that's a, because it's so important because users, uh, because developers are users just as much as end clients are. Um, if you're yeah. running, uh, if you're running a, a big library, um, yeah, for, for sure. Um, I and- I love that you brought that up there just now mm-hmm. about the dev the dev rel. That's something that I often forget about, and 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 the dev rel stuff is is really important because it shows you that, like, for example. There are so many libraries and there are so many things for you to understand as a developer to the point of almost like, you know, as an engineer, you, you know, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to have to, at some point in your career, make a decision whether you use MongoDB or you use DynamoDB. And this is something I had to decide recently. Yeah, this is something very <laughs> close to home, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. We had to do that recently for the coder career. And, um, you know, somebody, somebody, somebody's responsible for, in a, in a weird way, like um, for 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 make, helping you make the decision, and I know that's like that sounds like a crazy thing, but there are people, there are people in companies who who are who are often, as we'll talk about later on, perhaps you know companies that have open source software or they have even closed source software that they're, they're relying on being able to sell and 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 get you know developers to use even for free. It doesn't even have to be doesn't even have to be you know, paid for software. 
that makes sense. So would you say it's correct to say that library code doesn't have a user? Like the user of the library is of the code is you, the developer? Like how does that all work? Yeah. That's a little bit confusing. That's, that's basically it, right? That's your 100%. The user of the library code is you, the developer, the engineer, the person who's person uses that library code is you. Now you're 100% right on that. So we can now generalize that there are two kinds of developers from that, right? That there's developers that, that focus on... Um, application work, you know, application engineers, and there's developers who build, you know, tools and libraries for other developers. And of course, don't get me wrong, there are still developers who do both. There's developers who who make applications for end users to use and that, that solve a domain problem. But there are also developers who who who, who do both and, and, and work on libraries. Like for, for what it's worth, it's, it's worth saying at this stage, um, library developers is a sort of generic term that, and you you won't hear um, like you won't hear of jobs saying like looking for a library developer. You'll see you'll see jobs that are a bit more specific to the like the, the technical niche that that library is required for. So you might see jobs like compiler developer or device driver uh, developer. But we're really just using that term for the purposes of explaining um, to help our li- their dear listener understand like you know the difference between the application side and the and the and the library side to get it to get it in their in their head, and application developers is fairly generic as well. Um, you'll probably see like few to no jobs, you know, with that name. But um, it's fair to assume that the most it's fair to assume though that most development or software engineer jobs will be application developers. And and this is a really important point that I want people to take away. You need to be aware of of the, the the of the stuff that goes on underneath your application and be able to know how to use it and you know, import the correct library. But you also need to be aware that there's a, an engineer somewhere being paid to build the library that you are using. And some kinds, some in some cases, as we'll chat about in a while, some cases are not being paid at all. They're 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 doing it free open free open source and um. um but yeah, library developer jobs are significantly smaller percentage of all of the engineering roles, you know, um, because it's a very niche thing, but it's definitely worth knowing about. Um, I actually used to be a, a, a library developer. Um, I was a compiler engineer. Um, the compiler is a, is a tool that we use to convert code to like a lower level machine code uh, that the chip can use. Um, but we'll probably, hopefully, maybe do an episode on that sort of stuff to try and demystify some of that um i think the listeners uh, will literally hear it flying over my head uh (laughs) (laughs) give yourself more credit that entire episode so that should that should be interesting (laughs) i think between us we can maybe make a good job of breaking it down though like Well, I'll literally be a complete beginner, so I think it will make for a good episode. Um, so everyone will be in the same boat as me, but I, I'm excited to hear more about that for sure. Um, it's interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, it's interesting yeah, stuff. It's interesting to hear about what everything compiles down to. It's easy to fall into trap of thinking, "Oh, wow, JavaScript is magic." There's some there, there, there's uh, there's logic to that magic. Um, so so just to, to to recap a bit, obviously, application developers are using the tools made by library developers. Going to hit you with a comp sci concept here: recursion. Do library developers <laughs> use other developers' libraries that they, that, that, that they <laughs> yeah, make? I get, like, I, get what you're I get what you're saying. Yeah, Just of course. Neck, yeah. Right? <laughs> we've been we've been making a very you're making a very conscious effort to talk about the differences for the purpose of our explanation and understanding. But yeah, it would be weird if you were a library developer who didn't use libraries. Like let's let's not pretend we're not trying to tell you that if you are somebody who made a library or made, made something that's, that someone else can NPM install, that, that, that when you go to do that, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to install another library to, to, to help you with the thing that you're, that you're, that you're doing. Um, absolutely. Like there are libraries, there are libraries that, and developer tools that are aimed at application developers. Um, and there are even things like, which we've not mentioned yet, like things like SDKs or source developer kits, which are like essentially like libraries on steroids that are like whole, like lots and lots of libraries all bundled into one to help people build stuff like iOS apps and Android mm. apps. Let, and, let's not um, forget the biggest dog of the libraries. React is technically not a framework. It's technically just a JavaScript library, isn't it? Oh my God. I'm so, I'm so impressed that you said that. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Oh man, you've made me so happy. That's actually what, what can spot I say? On. I'm not just a pretty face. That's spot on. <laughs> but the thing is, right? Most people you speak to, like that, are like, like even like really experienced engineers are like, yeah, I'm going to install this framework React, and you're like, it's not a framework. Anyway, I'll get off my horse. Well, this is what I always talk about with like how web dev is the most pedantic industry in the world. But I, I, I love, I love it at the same time. I love being pedantic and like uh, catch people out on the framework and library differences yeah. and that sort of it's thing. It's not just web dev, I promise <laughs> you. In fact, web dev is probably not even that bad for it. But yeah, like to, to back 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 on your point, like there are libraries and developer tools that are aimed at other developers, and there are of course uh some that don't make any distinction you know like you can you know like the other day i was wanting to i was wanting to generate some uuids i was trying to generate a unique id you know it's a library that you can install uh you use it you call a method that it gives you and it gives you back a unique a random unique id you know the, the, the point i'm making though is you don't have to be somebody who's building an app to use that or you don't have to be somebody that's primarily building another library to use that you can be whoever you want um, they just serve their purpose, and whoever wants to use them can use them from whatever they're from whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what is the difference between a developer tool and a library, really? Yeah, great question. Um, a library is as as we've described. We've we've kind of kicked the tires on that pretty hard at this point. It's something that's used by a developer to help them achieve something as part of their application. Generally, that's a that's a generic thing. It's a generic task that they, they're that they're going to be doing. Um, there's, there's something that's 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 not specific to their application. Um, a developer tool, though, and we kind of hit on this a little bit earlier on, is an is simply another application which kind of comes under that same category of of, of libraries, though confusingly, <laughs> um, that's used by a developer to help them achieve something that's kind of meta in a way to the building of their application. Okay, that may be confusing. So better with an example. Okay, so let's say. A library is an, is an example of library. We've got React. Stick with the stick with the JS theme. Since we started with that, you've got React. You've got Redux. You've got Express. These are all libraries, you know. And a Dev tool, though, on the on the JS side would be Webpack. And for people that aren't aware, Webpack is basically a tool that takes that takes that allows you to take uh, multiple JavaScript files. And bundle them together uh, so that they that they when they run they run as one file. Um, but that's something that's a developer tool. It's actually it's actually like it's an application. <laughs> that's, this is getting confusing. It's an application, but it's not an application that has like an end user kind of using it. It's an application that's that's going to be run by a by a dev by an engineer as part of their their tooling workflow. And and you'll hear quite a lot about like this idea of uh, of, of of tooling. Um, other examples for other languages, you've got Gradle, is a thing we use in, in Java to like help us compile Java, and you've got Javac, Java C. It's the compiler itself. It's a developer tool. You could even say like Node.js is a developer tool. You know, um, you could. It's it's it comes under the category of the umbrella of library slash dev tool, right? In other words. When you're a coder, when you're building software, you don't write Node. You write using Node, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think I remember speaking to some junior engineers a while back and they were like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know Node. It's like, yeah, you, you do. You've been using it for 14 weeks. Like, oh, it's, right. it's, it's the hardest thing to explain to, to recruiters, you know? Yeah. Um, like everyone who knows JavaScript knows Node, like these days. Like that's how it works. Like, um, but I mean, it's not their fault. It's just the, the training um, that that they're given. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those funny things. And like the fact that TypeScript isn't a whole new language, probably and again something worth having an episode on one day. Uh, God, we're generating episodes uh, already yeah. and uh, talk, right. talking recursion. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so people might be feeling a little bit lost by all of this. I hope not, but just in case they are, do you have any like practical examples that you, you can think of that um, would uh, help people understand yeah. the difference? Yeah, that's a good idea. So let's say we're building a budgeting app. We might have like a lot, we might, we might design that in such a way that we've got like, you know, like a login screen, you log in, you log out, you, you, you've got a dashboard, uh, you know, you see whatever's happening on the dashboard. Let's just assume it's like a web app for purposes of easy explanation. And you might have something to connect your bank account. You might have something to like view your in and out money and 
all the code, right? This is important. All the code for all of those pages, the HTML, the CSS, the JavaScript, the components, whatever it is that you're using, and all the code that calls out to the backend API if you've got one, and all of the stuff that handles the, the you know, you know, you you bring in a request, you know, you deal with a you deal with a request, you make a DB call, all of that is application code, right? If um, so application code, like this is the TLDR of the entire episode. Application code is everything you write. <laughs> maybe I should have just said that from the start, but but it's maybe worth going in deep. Um, so to build that that that, we might use React for the UI, which is a library, as you've very correctly pointed out. We might manage that state with Redux or another library. Um, our backend might use MongoDB. And we might install the MongoDB client, for example, to like help us deal with that. And and those are all libraries. And we might we'll we'll use things like Jest to write our test, which is a developer tool. Um, and uh, as I said before, the the interesting thing about about Jest and when you have testing is that is that they don't get shipped with your with your um, uh, with your with your library at all, um, they 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 stay they stay local. They don't they don't they don't get they don't actually get shipped, um, uh, and also confusingly, you know we we'll, we'll say uh, I want to install these new dependencies, and just to want to make people people aware that when we talk about dependencies, we're just talking about libraries. It's just another yeah. way of saying just another word. another way of yeah. saying libraries. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, I personally prefer the word dependencies. Again, we're talking pedantic here. I personally prefer the word dependencies when I'm talking about it because it's a good way to think about how your application actually runs. And um, I'm very much the viewpoint where if you don't have to use the dependency, don't use it because a dependency almost sounds a bit, it, it almost sounds like it's a bit of a, it's dragging your app down a little bit, which it is. Probably yeah. not too significantly, and a lot of time you don't need to sweat about it. But uh, you shouldn't fall into the trap of, like you said earlier, just gluing together uh, loads of um, loads of dependencies or libraries. Um, because, as well as, especially as a junior, like you're not, not going to learn if you if you do that anyway. That's a really really good point. Like I've seen people do that loads. Um, as I say, like I said at the episode there, we sort of said, you know, you've got a hammer, everything's a nail. I want to npm install yeah. eleven daylights <laughs> out of the entire world and. Yeah, you, you want to try and be careful about how you do that. Um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, side note there, do you know how terrifying it is the number of uh, downloads the NPM package for is this number odd or even has? It is, the uh, odd I'll or look even up package. Yeah, 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 the order, it gets like 100,000 downloads a week. We, uh, <laughs> we used, when we taught NPM at CodeClan, this is a bit of a, like a sidetrack, um, but when we taught NPM at CodeClan, we taught it we, by by you know, we would like, okay, this is NPM and we'd explain dependencies and all the rest of it. And we, we taught it with them. We would get them to NPM install a library called five, which just printed out the number five in a, a bazillion, <laughs> a bazillion different ways. And see, now that I think about it, it's just the dumbest way of explaining it. We could do a lot better, but you know. It's a good way of thinking of it though. Like if you just bring it down in such a simple way and you don't think about it, like, because uh, it's definitely worth once you once once your feet are under the table a little bit more and you're feeling a bit more confident, have a dig through some dependency code and like that takes away that definitely took away a bit of mystery for me um, for for sure when I started doing that a little bit and that's how I think I I started feeling less like a junior once I started like messing about with the dependency code and seeing what was going on under the hood a little bit. That's actually a million. That's actually a million percent good advice. Like because I think it's really easy to fall into that trap of. Thinking that everything, every dependency, every library, every tool that you use is like some sort of weird black magic that you're not meant to, you're not yeah. meant to know. Like I think people people assume that you're not meant to know what's going on, and sometimes you get you get you you use stuff in the documentation so bad that you have to <laughs> look through it. But yeah, it can it can be really interesting for for smaller projects. You learn a lot to like um to to do that. Good good advice. Mm-hmm. And the elephant in the room um, will, will be APIs, really. Like, um, are, are APIs seen as libraries? How, how does that work? Because they're in that ecosystem, but they don't really fit into anything yet. Are they just their own thing? Uh, really, really good question. Um, so just as a quick reminder for, for us on, on what APIs are. So 
APIs are, the API stands for Application Programmer Interface. And I'm going to get a little bit like, well, actually, like, you know, a little bit computer nerd, like, well, actually, it's technically, and I'm sorry for this, I apologize up front. Um, so I'm going to say, well, actually, technically, when we use a library, um, we're actually calling an API. So this is the confusing part. I don't want to have people too bamboozled by this, but when you call, when you use any library and you like call the functions of it or you use it in any way, you're technically using an API. But what's sort of happened with APIs is more conventionally and colloquially, and um, when someone has an API, that means that they've got a way of getting and modifying data within their application that other developers can use over the internet. Uh, which I think if you've never heard of that concept, it sounds mental. Mm-hmm. But one way I, I used to teach, I used to teach a lot about APIs, and one way I'd explain to it is that if you're an internet user, you go to a website and you are you interface with that website and you click the buttons and stuff, right? But if you're another computer and you want to f- do something on the internet, you don't go to a website. Uh, when, programs don't use websites. Programs use what websites run on top of which is apis and a lot of like businesses and you know people that are in tech and kind of businessy people in tech get really like obsessed with the idea of apis because they're super powerful and all it is is this idea that you you write some code which connects into a remote server usually over http gets some data maybe sets some data and does like a data exchange and it's it's a way primarily of 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 you remotely controlling another system from your application or remotely getting data from another system from your application or remotely setting data in another application, you know. Um, and it's basically, they basically, APIs make the world go round, right? Like you couldn't pay your bills with, without APIs. You couldn't pay, you couldn't do, you couldn't, like these days you can't even unlock your car without an API. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, like as that's that's what APIs are. And the confusing thing, as I said before, is that weirdly, when you technically, when you call any library, you're using its API. But as I said, colloquially, people really refer to that as being, they, they really they really by default mean an HTTP, HTTP API rather than just a generic API. So as an example, if I want to take payments on my website, I'd use the Stripe API. Let me Stripe communicate with the Stripe servers. I've got two choices, right? And this is the interesting point. I can use the API directly. In other words, I can make what we call um, uh, like um, HTTP calls using like fetch or Axios or whatever it is the uh, is, is a tool or, or library they're using to make the call um, uh, over the internet to get the data. Or I could install Stripe's library and this is this is the interesting part, um, and I can real I realize how that may be a little bit confusing, but you can you can either do the fetch manually to get the data, or you can install the library, which will give you a bunch of functions that you can use, as if it were running locally. But actually, what it does is it runs and then makes the fetch for you, but it does it in a way that you don't have to make the fetch yourself, and. That's us now kind of like coming towards that boundary of between what what's the difference between a library and an API. And to answer that question more firmly on the head, a library is something that runs and gives you functions. And an API is something that runs and gives you functions. But most in most cases, the API is happening remotely, but the library is happening locally. But they all come under the category of libraries. Oh, my God. I think I said the word library too many times. <laughs> I think me too, me too. Um, and I'm, I'm afraid I've got one more question about libraries um, for, for, for our sins. Um, so where does library code go or like lib um, when our application runs, like in production? Like how, how does that work? Again, is it magic? Yeah, of course it's magic. Now, we used to talk about we used to talk about magic quite a lot when I was, you know, teaching and things like that. And I think at first, when I first got into teaching, I was really keen on like the idea of being like, okay, I want you, when I'm teaching you, to just focus on this problem. Um, therefore, I'm going to explain the rest as magic so that you don't to try and get you to not focus on it. But it's actually the wrong thing to do. It's not, it's not a good teaching strategy. But anyway, we'll talk about that another day. 
Um, where does the where does the library code go where an application runs? Um, it depends on the language. Okay, so back to the JS example, we use a developer tool. I think we mentioned it earlier on called Webpack to take our application code and to take our library code and bundle it together um, as part of the build process. So what that means is when you when you like back to our, our, our idea of our, our, our idea of building a um, money tracking app or a budgeting app when we built our budgeting app to get it to go out there into the wild to run on people's browsers to do something um what we'll do is we'll use webpack if we're using js and then we'll that'll take all the library code and it'll bundle it it'll stick it with the application code so the application code and the library code get glued together in one big massive file and a lot of other stuff happens to that it gets obfuscated and all this other stuff that happens to it um, it gets optimized and it gets made it gets it gets obfuscated for the purposes of security mm-hmm. um which you know again that's another our podcast that's a, that's another a whole series of podcasts uh, yeah stay tuned folks we've got plenty of good content coming up so um if you have a java application um for example and you're doing some database stuff um all the live all the all the database stuff is is compiled into the into the jar file that you run um, Python can be either. Python can be bundled in one big bundle, or it can be compiled into separate libraries that are linked together. Um, and again, this idea of linking means that means that the, the the library doesn't actually live on your system. If anyone's ever this is a good one. If anyone's ever been playing an old school PC game and it comes up an error, uh, something 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 dot dll could not be found. DLL stands for. Do you know what it stands for? Pop quiz question. I know it's a licensing um, file extension, but I'm not sure exactly nah. what it is. I'm not nah. going to say why I know a lot about DLLs um, because I'm not going to incriminate myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> you played a lot of computer games in the in the late noughties and the early yeah. in the late late nineties, early noughties, and they <laughs> broke a lot. Now nah, DLL stands from stands for dynamically linked library. So what that means is, and I'm trying not to get too boring, but that's a library that that exists already on your computer right so like it's quite common in windows builds that that um that some of the libraries and dependencies are shipped with the product so if you download a game on steam like some of the dlls will will be there like on that download i nearly said disc there i nearly said i nearly (laughs) said disc can you believe that um and but a, a good chunk of them will also will not be on the, that disk in that download, and they'll be actually on the system. And that means that it's not bundled as part of the the, the library of the dependencies, not bundled in some cases. And that's the same in Linux as well. So in, in Linux, uh, we we when in certain libraries that we get, we might, we might actually link them rather than bundling them or packaging them. Um, and those are called shared object files. Uh, but yeah, so it's just it's different. It's different for each different type of application. Is the point? Mm-hmm. So I, I've got a question, and perhaps this is uh, the business grad of me coming out here. Right, cool. um, but people obviously spend a lot of time writing this library code and dev tools. Do they do it for the money, the fame, love of the game? Why? Why would you do it? Why do they do it? Um... And and who are they? Like, are they just like random do-gooders, or or how how does it work? Okay, um, applications that are built in different languages are all built with different levels of developer experiences. Um, that means that some languages make it really easy to deal and, and handle certain tasks, and they make it really easy to like use certain libraries than others. Um, we probably don't want to build our budgeting web application entirely in Rust. We could, but even though it's possible, we could as an exercise perhaps to learn Rust. But the point is being able to understand what libraries and developer tools that are available for a language is the most important skill behind selecting a library or a tool that's gonna help you solve your domain specific problem. That's why a very solid understanding of the topology of your entire tech stack is really, really important. And it's why we're making such a big deal about it. And um, and this is something that I found that even some very experienced developers 
haven't haven't yet mastered you know um knowing where your application ends and your library code begins is actually really easy to do you can look at your code and if it's js we've been talking about js quite a lot to, to today so if it's js then it's whatever you're importing um um but wherever you're importing that, that's that's your library code. It's fairly easy for anyone who knows how to do some basic coding to know, to be able to look at their code and say, well, I can see now that that is library code that I'm importing here. But I've always found that seeing your seeing that in your code and knowing exactly what's happening is a different thing. Let's take testing, right? Testing, it can be really tricky. It's tricky to learn, but it's also really easy to accidentally write tests that test your library. You know, I'm writing. I've I've got a I've got a select query, and I'm writing a I'm writing some tests for my select query. What have you really written tests for there? Have you written tests for your library? Have you written tests for the select query? Like you know, I've I've I'm I'm, I'm putting some some data into state with Redux, and then I'm testing that that data is in state. You're testing Redux. Redux is already tested. You don't have to test it again. But <laughs> that's a thoroughly. really 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 common thing that happens um which is why we're, we're we're making a really big a really big point about about that like knowing where that boundary is and realizing that you don't need to test somebody else's library code is very very important you should be testing the the way your inter, your application interacts with that and there might be some cases if we're going to talk about testing maybe some cases where you want to mock out mock away or or stub away the the library so that you're not having to, to deal with that as part of your testing. Um, and then on the question of who, well, that's a big one. That's a really big one. Um, it's the rather large subject of open source software or open source for short, um, which I think we should talk about uh, now. If you've got any more questions, we can just do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what what is open source software first and foremost? Yeah. Well, I th- you know what it is, but let's just yeah, talk about well, it from the yeah. point of view. Of the... <laughs> uh, okay, I guess it's the movement to produce code um, free uh, that anyone can download and use. Um, and we'll have all heard of GitHub, and um, the, because I sound like an old timer a bit, but like before GitHub, people who wanted to share code. In an open source way, you used to, used to have to host their own their own their own Git servers, which is a bit mad. Um, yeah, we actually worked. I worked in a place where we hosted our own Git servers. We That's such machines. an alien concept to me as someone that didn't get into mental. the industry until twenty until the late twenty tens. <laughs> we we had a thing called SourceForge online that predated GitHub, where you download zip files of source code, and it was it people used to think it was okay. See, looking back, it's horrendous. But your <laughs> your question was really, it was really about why. Okay, so I guess it's it all starts with application developers. Application developers, when they're solving a domain specific problem for their user, they want to make it. They want to continually make it easier for themselves to 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 do that, um, to build stuff. Uh, and what they do is you you might you know, somebody might be doing quite a lot of in an application they might have quite a lot of database queries and we build an app we do a lot of database queries we build an app we build a game and we will we'll make a 3d renderer uh we'll build um we'll build um try to think of something i can't think of anything <laughs> something something that's going to do some some menial task that's going to be repeated a lot what we might do is rather than just rewriting that a bunch of times, we 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 should put that into, you know, a reusable function or method or class or or module within our code. And in some cases, people go, do you know what? This is generic enough for somebody outside of my organization to use it. And it sounds, I think it sounds mental to people that have never heard of the concept of open source software before. But that's really how it starts. It starts off with people contributing code for free. Um for other people to use and um, most open source code is library code or tooling code it's things like you know your jest it's things like your your um, um your redux it's things like react it's 
it's I feel bad that we've really just hammered, hammered really hard on the JS stuff today. We're not JS biased in this podcast, but we do really, I, I really love bit. it. I really love it. I think JavaScript's absolutely <laughs> freaking amazing. I love it to bits, but I just I just don't want people thinking that we're only that we only talk about JavaScript. Yeah. One thing that we should definitely talk about though. Sorry for hogging the mic up mic, mic too much, but we should definitely talk about the Linux kernel. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I have, yeah. We we went into a bit of depth on it with uh, Kieran Cornwall a few episodes back. And it was oh, really so you did, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the Linux kernel is just absolutely huge. I checked before we came on the podcast. It's currently got one million com- over 1 million commits to the repository. So the Linux kernel, just just for everyone, um, it's 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 like the core of the Linux operating system. So Linux is an operating system. It's primarily used in in devices like servers and like um, like embedded devices of all sizes, big servers, little servers, containers, uh, virtual machines. Um, you can use it on desktop, but only really kind of hardcore Linux users tend to want to use it on desktop. Um, I used to be quite a big Linux desktop user, actually. I've tried it but, uh, on desktop, but yeah, it's not for me. I've used it on servers, obviously, but yeah, yeah desktop, I decided I was I was too normy to use it on a desktop, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I went the same route and like, you know, really enjoyed it for a while, but I sort of found that it was a bit like whack-a-mole. You'd install Linux on your machine and you could get, you could either have working internet or working CD-ROM drive, but not both. <laughs> Never both. Yeah, it is. It is just like well. As soon as you install that CD-ROM drive driver, now I sound old school by saying that. Then, internet stops working. As soon as you install the internet driver, CD-ROM drive stops working. So you know, you get your choice. It's probably came along since quite a lot since two thousand and eight. You know, two thousand and nine when I last used it. No, I actually last used it in twenty thirteen on desktop, but. But Linux is absolutely massive, and it has the biggest open source project probably of them all. Um, I think I said that like open source projects are primarily libraries. And that's true for the most part. There are some applications, user-facing applications that are open source. There's WordPress. There's Blender, LibreOffice. I'm trying to think of any more. There's not as many, but they're but they but they are they do exist. Do you, do you know what actually? Just to interject, Colin, as well, something I, I wanted to say. We've been talking about contributing um, to open source code commits. Mm. Um, for people that are really like inexperienced and a bit nervous to do that, you don't actually have yeah. to to contribute to open source. It doesn't have to be code. My first contribution to open source was fixing a spelling mistake on the React Hook form website. Like it can happen. Do you know what is really helpful? Apparently, um, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit useless. I only speak English, uh, but. Um, the uh if you speak another language and you can translate documentation into uh into another language that is really helpful and people love that um so that kind of thing is is just great and if you can get stuck into that um and it's it's the sort of thing that really makes you stand out as a junior on your cv if you helped contribute to documentation and that kind of thing because as well as just showing you care about the ecosystem secondly as well it shows how you, you it shows that you know how to properly like raise a pr like make commits like branch off uh, you know, make forks of a repo. Um, sounds silly, almost me explaining it to that level, but like a junior being really good at source control is actually so useful um, on the team because um, it, it prevents catastrophe. <laughs> I had never thought of that. That's absolutely brilliant. Like I never thought that, yeah, it's a great idea. If, if, you, if you're like, you know, bilingual or whatever, you could just make some really great contributions by translating stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And you get your, you get your stars as well. <laughs> um, and then you've got like so the kernels the kernels big other big ones oh, there's some really big ones one that I used to work on was LLVM low level virtual machine um, LLVM's a, a bit weird in that it's the compiler that's used by nearly everything it used to be a compiler called GCC that was used by by everything um, but LLVM is now the compiler that's used by by everything and that's the that's the bit that takes your code and turns it into machine code so it's kind of it's kind of mental actually but llvm is 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 in some cases on every mobile phone and iphone and android phone in the world (laughs) 
like I think um, from memory. So that kind of means that if you've contributed to LLVM in some way that you probably have your code in every device on the planet. And pretty, it's not just crazy, LL, so. it's not just LLVM. Like Android, the Android open operating system is is open source. AOSP, the Android Android open source project. Yeah, that's mm. that's a you know you can contribute to that. It's you know and and then the crazy thing is if is if your dependency, if your library gets used in a big it gets installed in another big open source project, then it like it kind of like you know, shoots to fame or whatever, you know, it gets used, gets used a lot. Um, so there's a kind of uh, quite a lot going on there. Mm. Um, and and there's obviously a relationship between corporations and yep. open source software and the highs of which are stuff like Facebook really backing yep. React and making yep. that an amazing ecosystem. Loads of which uh, ended up a complicated situation, ended up with the, uh, with the founder and creator of a, uh, uh, of Linux shouting NVIDIA you on stage at a live event, um, which I don't, I can't remember the details, but obviously there's highs and lows there. So can you explain the corporate relationships and, and how OSS makes money? Yeah, that's a good, good point. So, um, yeah, so, um, I guess it's just really worth pointing out that like a lot of open source projects, the, the big ones in particular, are actually backed by profit-making companies. Um, now, there's a reason for that. Um, there's a, basically, if you are a big, massive company and you are using a lot of open source stuff, um, it's in your interest. It, believe it or not, it, it helps your organization to open source projects. It sounds mental, but actually... Some, you know, a lot of companies are so big, like take Facebook, that it's easier for them to put something out in the public and have it go round the public and then also be used at other points and, in, in, you know, within Facebook um, uh, to get, you know, contributions. Contributions are a, are a massive thing in, in, open, in the open source community. That is when someone takes an interest in your tool, your library, and they, you know, download it and they make a change and then they contribute that back. That's that's the driver of, of, of the open source community. And and companies want to help with that, you know, and it tends to be that the bigger companies, bigger companies want to do that. So you've got React backed by Facebook, Rust backed by Mozilla, uh, Spring by VMware, used to be Pivotal. And there's so many um, companies that, that back them. And by I say back them, what that means is, is they, is they hire devs to basically, to basically, they pay them to work on those open source projects, which is, which is a bit, which is a bit crazy. So if you're really keen, if you, you know, as you as you get more experience as a developer, you discover that you really love some library, you know, um, you could, you know, feasibly work on that and then ha- get a job to work at like a really big firm. Or even better, as you become more experienced developer and you work at a place and then you've discovered that you use this library or it was your decision to use this li- a particular library, you could end up being the corporate backer of that of that library. You know, if it's a small company, um, uh, you could, you know, do more official official open source contributions on that on that library as part of your job. And um that'd be a really cool thing to do. I know that there are some companies that let you do like OSS stuff as part of your 10% time, mm. um, which is when you spend you know, 10% of your time on little projects and things related to your work. So yeah, it's um, open source is good. <laughs> Easy yeah. to say. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic. And I think I'm somewhat being forced to um, to, uh, to to get to uh, bring this podcast towards the end because my kitten is uh, being an absolute madman. I think he wants his dinner. Uh, totally adorable, so, though. <laughs> yeah, he's great. It's a shame it's not a video podcast because the listeners would have been treated to uh, 
uh, Earl jumping on my head and then jumping on my shoulder and then falling off my back. And um, yeah, I'm quite pleased myself that I managed to contain my yelp when he scratched uh, my back while trying to, mm-hmm. while trying not to fall off. But anyway, this has been a um, cat cat talk aside. This has been a really uh, exciting first episode to record, and um, I'm just so excited for the amount of topics that we can discuss next. And um, you know, it's great to as well have a technical aspect um, to yeah. the podcast as well as um, as well as our uh, our careers talks as well. So. Um, you know, if people want to hear more from us, all our links are in the description. And if, if you're new, please do stick around for both this and also our careers uh, podcast as well. There's so much going on with Code of Career. And um, Colin, just once again, I'm so excited that you are coming aboard. Obviously, the, the news isn't new to us, but uh, it's new no. to new to the public. And um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, uh, I'm yeah. so excited for what we're building here. And yeah, can't wait for the next one. Agreed. Join the Discord. Um... We should get a Discord link on the website. I've just realised. And um, come there's a Discord in, link on the link tree. That'll be in the description. Uh, pop on on the website as well. Brilliant. Um, and I put I put up pictures of the cat on on Discord sometimes. So that's a, that's a member only treat. <laughs> Some motivation for you to join and uh, join our join our come and join our little community and ask questions. And if you've got suggestions for episode topics, uh, particularly on on the technical the technical side, um, be great to hear them. Happy. Absolutely. And you, you could even ask them on the show because we do have a call-in feature uh, now, which is asynchronous, so you can just leave it as a voicemail. Um, but yeah, that would be uh, that would be awesome. But um, yeah, thanks again, Colin, and thank you, dear listener, for tuning in for another episode of The Code of Career. We're now back onto our weekly schedule, uh, which is super exciting. And uh, thanks again for listening and have a great week.